there's right. some certain truths around what motivates or the lens that people look at. So it's mm-hmm. less about, for me, it's less about putting somebody in a box and say, oh, you're on the Myers-Briggs, you're extrovert or introverted. Yeah. I'm not so much into that as, oh, this is the lens that you see the world as. Mm-hmm. And then in particular, when your tank is full and you're mm-hmm. firing at your best, this is how you see the world. And equally, when your tank is low, this is how you can see the world. Welcome to Beyond the Ping Pong Table, the podcast that delves into workplace culture that puts people first. I'm Farron Tabrizi, your host, joined by Chris Call, a leading figure in innovation, leadership, and fostering human connections within the EMS industry. Chris's journey began as a firefighter at EM- and DMT before launching paramedic.com and co-founding ems1.com. Now serving as the chief growth officer at Pulsera, Chris brings his extensive experience from roles such as firefighter captain, paramedic, and ambulance service director to his current practice as a critical care flight paramedic across rural Montana and Yellowstone National Park. Chris and I share a history dating back to 2007 with his co-founding of EMS One, where I was creating cutting-edge video content in public safety. Our collaboration took us across the country, capturing conferences, expos, and training content. And this was really all at the very, very start of my career. So I'm really grateful and excited to have you here today because I always look back to that time and, and look at you as one of those true leaders. And we had so much fun together. And I just know how many people respected you. So I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome, Chris. 2007, huh? Wow. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It 2017. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be a decade. And now it's 2024. Like, yeah. We're, uh, You're good at math. <laughs> it's life. It's life. Life is going by. I mean, when you start looking at those dates of like 15 years, 17 years ago, that's great. Yeah. It's yeah, it's quite a timeline. And I feel like it's been a really long time since you and I, you and I have connected like this, but thanks to like LinkedIn and and definitely Facebook, I have to say that I've been able to kind of keep a pulse on what's going on in your life. Your kids are all grown up since I last saw them. And it's just, just really awesome to get to sit here face to face again. Yeah. I missed you. We, um, (laughs) that's that's the value of online media. There's, I mean, there's so much with online media. But one of the things is that I do feel like I've lived life alongside of you and kept up with what's going on, which is always great. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I've been having a lot of fun with this like first question and I don't think I know this about you, but what was your first job ever and how old were you? My first one that I'm uh, ironically very proud of is I worked at Taco Bell. Ah, so I went to Taco okay. Bell in, in high school, and um, and the reason I'm proud of that is that my son, when he was in high school, also went to Taco Bell, which is the second generation. And now Keep I have the this family. Thing. <laughs> I have this thing about Taco Bell that when anybody's ever worked in the service industry, they're like, "Oh, I would never eat there again," except for people that work at Taco Bell. It seems like those of us <laughs> who work there still crave Taco Bell, um, and so. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I did. Um, yeah. What, what's your order at Taco Bell? Well, back in the day, and they opened it up again for a little bit, and then it was gone again, or Enchiritos, which were really their like enchiladas with the red sauce. But oh, okay. the value of working at Taco Bell is that you can add as much cheese or different sauces <laughs> or all the things you, you want, right? So that it's, yeah. it's a value. Um, so Taco, and the thing is, our Taco Bell, this is dating me back to like, the breakfast club days of, of, <laughs> of uh, the different clicks, but I wasn't, I was like that one click kid that I was a friend of everybody's, but I was also the one that probably would have been stuffed in the locker with the duct tape. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't the stoner. I wasn't the jocks. So I'm just kind of working through which person would I relate with. <laughs> and they were all, they all were smoking, you know, all the cool kids would smoke right. and take their breaks and smoke in the back of Taco Bell. And I tried, I tried to be cool. Um, just did not, as you can imagine, could you see me just like lighting up a cigarette and no, no it's not. And so, uh, because of that, I was kind of the lowest on this, on the social totem pole of, of, uh, high school employees there. And so I did the things like 
Back then, you actually fried your taco shells. So you'd actually put them in this little mold, the corn tortillas, and then put them in the green. So I got stuck with the fryer, right? Or where I would just come home full of that because I didn't know how to smoke. Yeah. Couldn't inhale. <laughs> But what was interesting is that I've been following and reading in preparation for this. So first of all, thank you for having me. I, I'm always humbled when and surprised when people ask me to hang out. And one of those questions is like, well, I'm not an expert in that. I don't know what I know. But when you ask, what's your first job? It actually brought a memory back where I was asked to house sit down the street while okay. family was on vacation. And I did uh -huh. all the stuff to a T, 100% to a T of everything that they asked, water the plants and get their mail, pick up their newspaper, right? And the day they were coming home, my dad said, did you pull weeds, like actually hand, like dig out weeds? Did mm -hmm. you, um, and mow the lawn? And I said, no, they, it wasn't on the list. And he's like, but it doesn't have to be on the list to, do that. If you were in their um, shoes, if you were, if you were just coming home and of course I can't even, I couldn't even imagine this, but now I can having kids and you think of going on vacation, but it's really a family trip. There's a difference between a vacation and a trip. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, when they're coming home, he's like, I want them to leave. I want you, let's go up and do that. And so, you know, I'm grumbling. I'm a high school kid. I did everything they asked and yet it yeah. wasn't good enough kind of thing. And yet, yeah, that was a turning point in my life because we did, my dad went up there with me and mm -hmm. we pulled weeds and we mowed and we put that house in that. And now, you know, forward thinking, I'm like, that's how, how many times across my life did I just do the right thing or choose to go above and beyond, even if it wasn't something that somebody told me to do because it, mm -hmm. it just needed to be done. And of course, that family, when they come home, are thinking, well, we got to get the laundry done. We got to mow. We got to get all this. Like They're thinking of their to-dos, and they're already exhausted mm -hmm. when they come home. And if mm -hmm. the home is actually better than it was when they left it, that's a huge gift to people. Um, yeah. And so, ironically, that was when I think of first jobs. That's a first job that really speaks to the core of culture, leadership, doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a great story. What was their reaction? Did they appreciate well, Did they see that you went they, above and beyond? They, they, I, they of course appreciated it. I, I yeah. don't remember. I mean, they were always very giving, so it would not have surprised me if they actually even gave me more money than they said they were going to give yeah. me. Um, yeah. Certainly I secured that role whenever they were traveling. Right. Yeah. So, um, but it was more of taking pride in your work and just saying, when I leave something, regardless of what it is, it's in a better shape than when I found it. Mm -hmm. And that's a great opportunity when we are working with others in a company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, um, man, I was listening to so many, you know, I, I was trying to catch up on all of the different podcasts because mm -hmm. I didn't want to be duplicative. And yet it's hard not to be duplicative because the cornerstone of, what people talked about are just inherent truths, right? Mm -hmm. um, and one of them is that people will say is they don't leave their job, they leave their manager. And, mm -hmm. or when somebody says, I don't get paid enough, I do think that's valuable. I do think that's important. Um, and I do think it's in the top 10, maybe even the top five, um, mm -hmm. how much you're getting paid. But sure. really what else is going on is it's just something tangible that they can latch on to. Because what they're also probably not getting is they're probably not getting the right benefits or pay, and it's valid. I don't want to discount that. Mm -hmm. And they're probably also not having the ability to make a difference. They're not feeling like they have a voice. They're mm. feeling like they're micromanaged, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about a culture, really at its essence, we're talking about setting people up for success to be the best that they can be. Mm -hmm. And that might look different depending on the industry, your team that you're working with, um, and, and different individuals. And so the reason I'm saying all these is that I'm going back to the first job that mm -hmm. I had. And our school system has um, given us a lot of props 
of being somebody who can execute. The more you can execute. So if you did everything the teacher asked and you did it without any errors, and ideally if you were one of the first to do it, you uh, got an A. Mm -hmm. But when you're creating something in a job and you're working, it's not 100% about how many things you cross off your list, but it's about thinking creatively. It's about um, maybe saying no to a good idea um, so that Mm -hmm. you have bandwidth for the great idea. It's yeah. um, it's that, that, that becomes very complex, right? Mm-hmm. Building a culture. Yes, absolutely. I know. I want to like, oh, so much to unpack there. I, and I think what's so cool is that you span so many different industries in the line of work that you do currently and that you've done. Can you give us a little bit of background on how you got into EMS services and maybe even, I guess, what was your degree in college in? Is that? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, let's give us a little story. bit of background because I want people yeah. to know who you are. And then yeah. I'd love to get into the people conversation. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't grow up wanting to run businesses or to do things. I was fairly creative um, and was originally going to be a, a, a teacher. And so okay. I went to college to be a mm-hmm. teacher. Now, for those who are not in public safety, in the 70s is when paramedics first started popping up across the country in Miami, in the LA area. And there's a TV show called Emergency in the early okay. 70s. And the reason I say that is that people grew up wanting to be a doctor or a nurse or a firefighter, mm-hmm. you know, back from mm-hmm. Benjamin Franklin's time for fire. You know, you think of the Praetorian Guard for for law enforcement, you think of nursing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, or even further, you think of the Hippocratic Oath with physicians, even in biblical times. But the first paramedic in Montana wasn't until 1991. So many of us didn't grow up wanting to be a paramedic because they may not have even existed or really were part of the culture of of that. So it's a really young industry. And because of that, I actually went to school to be a school teacher, um, originally history and English, and then um, transitioned to technology education, that, okay. that intersection between tech and the world. Um, and at the same time, and what was somewhat uh, serendipitous is that in my division or degree, the technology education advisors were also um, park rangers. And as a park ranger, you're both law enforcement and fire and EMS, mm-hmm. cover all three when you're a park ranger. And so they had basically an emphasis that you can have this degree in education, but you would do your internships, uh, your pair blocks on teaching kids fire safety and stop, drop, and roll. Although Mm -hmm. arguably I've never had to stop, drop, and roll in my life. (laughs) You ever see those memes where they're like, uh, I thought I would have to use my skills to get out of quicksand so much more often than I do. Every TV show in the 80s was about quicksand. Uh, Like, oh no, TJ Hooker, how's he going to get out of quicksand? Lava. Like, I'm still waiting for the date. Um, and I did an internship. So I actually went and got my EMT my sophomore year in college. I started in the fire service and then I graduated. And when I graduated with a degree in tech, I really didn't know how to marry both of those. So I was the IT network, uh, back in the day would be a webmaster, webmaster IT guy during the day. And then I worked on the ambulance and I continued on school beyond my four-year degree to get my paramedic. And then when I was going to paramedic school, uh, I was wanting to find, this is right when about the time that Al Gore invented the internet. So this is like mm-hmm. the very few uh, people, the internet wasn't a thing. And so I went to paramedic.com mm-hmm. and long story short, it was just a domain name that was parked. The guy, it was around the dot bomb, the 1999 dot bomb era. And this guy who was a retired air medical pilot had bought the name, hoping great things. Mm-hmm. And ultimately sold it to me for pennies. Uh, uh, pennies on the dollar. And so I grew that up to about 25 or 30,000 users. And it was really just a forum, a chat to connect this with. Was, and this was really just you, right? Behind yeah, I had one business yeah, partner. You were like yep. a solo. Sh- oh, you had one business yep. partner. 
Yep. And so what I did to make ends meet is I, I left the IT world to work as a full-time paramedic because we work shift work. So I had basically for 24 hour shifts, I worked 10 days yeah. on across them over the month course of a month. I'd have 10 days. I worked in 20 days that I would could work on paramedic.com. Yeah. And then in 2007, uh, a colleague of yours and mine, Alex Ford and yeah. another one, John Hughes, had they were already in the police world they mm-hmm. uh, were just starting the fire world about a year in and they were moving into the ems opportunity and long story short is that they acquired paramedic.com Praetorian did and then hired me to be the first to really co-found the ems one division um, right. and take the 35,000 users and 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 that group and and start growing that to really what it is today um, mm-hmm. that's, that's where you and I met. Cause as we got in there, there was this thing coming out. There was a phenomenon called YouTube. YouTube. And, yes. and, uh, <laughs> and we're like, and one of the things that I think that Alex Ford did really well is instead of nickel and diming, you know, kind of seeing what the comp- competition's doing and then trying to one up them yeah. Which, yeah. in public safety, that happened a lot. Yeah. Praetorian said, what are the best amazing things that others are doing in online media and how do we apply that to public safety? Right. right. And so, uh, you were instrumental. That's, that was, it's so great to look back at. We're like, we should do video. We should find somebody who understands how to do video. <laughs> and, and then you really started the video, the video team. <laughs> <laughs> right at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. Yeah. So I, uh, so I did that. Um, and then, 2000, about not quite, but about 10 years in, then I left to help um, start. I was employee number two or three for a company called Pulsera. And Pulsera yes. is really, once again, the value and why people love Pulsera is that in the real world, we use our phone for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we don't use our phone very often to do is to talk. We actually use it for literally <laughs> everything. Right. But when yeah. it comes healthcare. Instead, what we do is we use pagers and answering mis- answering services and fax machines and walkie-talkies. And, and so there's a lot of inefficiency in communication. So really, at a nutshell, Pulsar is really a HIPAA-compliant WhatsApp, the ability to connect the right people at the right time and have a conversation around the patient as the case evolves with great success. So um, mm-hmm. that's really been what I've done um, along those lines. And I have not left the clinical field. I, I work very part-time, but I still uh, pick up shifts as a flight paramedic on a helicopter. Um, and then we've had just different other side things always throughout our life. So we have some real estate between my wife and I. We have mm-hmm. uh, this, uh, we used to own uh, with some other business partners, a private fire department. We have two fire trucks and ambulance, 14 full-time employees. What? Uh, oh, I didn't know about this. Yeah, we've since transitioned that um, as that, opportunity um morphed we now have a fleet of 11 cars on turo which is like airbnb for cars yeah i know turo uh, yeah yeah, yeah. That, that we rent out here in bozeman montana so there's some i think we have like three teslas and six or seven suburbans and a couple subarus and yeah busy you're always keeping busy are you ever gonna yeah. slow down yeah <laughs> uh, now that the kids are gone, is it like slow down or is it like speed up again? <laughs> I'll tell you, there's there's a thing called empty nesters and this difficulty to reconnect. And what are you going to do? I yeah. did not have that challenge. I have the challenge. <laughs> Arguably, uh, both Ethan, he just turned 21. Hannah is 22. They're they are some of my best friends and we're really close. Uh, and they're living their best life. And um but what's so great is it's actually harder when they get home because they're like, well, what are we going to eat? I'm like, I don't know. You're eating, but we're out. We're out of here. And it's, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like our life has become so easy <laughs> yes. to do that, to travel and that kind of thing. But I do think that change, that opportunity now is to have these type of conversations, to pay it forward and to spend more time mentoring and helping mm-hmm. nurture the next level of generation. I don't think we, I mean, going back to what we started with, with you go to school and you're graded on and you're tested and your, um, your performance is measured on the ability to cross things off your list. 
Mm-hmm. And so when we, the concept of delegating to give authority to others, to empower them, to give them a voice and the tools, um, that's not something that has ever been taught for 18 years of your life. You've actually been taught to just do. And right. now, like, how do you do that? And how do you empower? And you hear those stories, right? Like for people like, well, they're really good at what they do, but I feel like I'm always micromanaged by them. Or I feel like mm-hmm. they just step all over me when they, I'm sure that the person who's waking up doesn't say, who can I micromanage today? Who can I annoy today? Right. But that's their <laughs> skill set that they've been taught is mm-hmm. valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my story. Uh, yes, that's yeah. great. Oh my yeah. gosh. There's some new things I didn't know about in there as well. Um, so you really saw a need for more resources and education when starting paramedic.com, right? That was like, right. And that's the marriage of like my background, my degree in education yeah. and my love for yeah. teaching with technology, yeah. yeah, with the ability to tangibly make a difference, you know, and public safety is one of those great industries that it's really easy to get to the core and the passion of the people who work in public safety. Right. Absolutely. And, oh yeah. And so that's that ability. Um, and for those who are listening, really, if I had to distill it down, I'm really just a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I really like to tell <laughs> stories and yeah. my particular area to tell stories is in public safety. That's mm-hmm. my area. Awesome. That's awesome. So you've worn a lot of hats and as someone who's led teams, both on the front lines and at a desk in the technology sector, how do you find the approach, um, to motivating your team differs or is it similar in a lot of ways in those different environments? Um, that's a, um, yes and no, right. I I think it's, it's the same in that you're hanging out with people and in order to get Mm -hmm. people to perform at the best that they can, you have to meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. Now, what's different is that uh, the public safety tends to be black and white uh, thinkers. They tend to be executors. Um, they tend to be like, it's either a good idea or a bad idea. So you have to like walk them through that there could be an alternative idea. And it's not just how we've always done it before. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you work, I, I tend to gravitate to the art artsy side of the company. I tend mm-hmm. not to be as much on the engineering development, although I do have a very organized, neat, structured way I think about stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I gravitate to the film and marketing teams, right? And and that group tends to be less process and more heart. Um, and so you have a lot of yeah. um, opportunities to meet them where they are based on one, where they are in their life, and two, what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. Do you, have you ever played around with the Enneagram? Gosh, that's come up a couple times recently, and I oh, haven't. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah I was just talking about in, that. In the, in the show notes, I'll send, you know, there's probably a, I'm, I'm not an expert, uh, but I have found that, you know, whether it's Myers-Briggs personality type, Enneagram personality type, I'm a oldest child, I'm the baby, I'm the middle child, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a cancer, you're a Virgo. There, there's right. some certain truths around what motivates or the lens that people look at. So it's mm-hmm. less about, for me, it's less about putting somebody in a box and say, oh, you're on the Myers-Briggs, you're extroverted or introverted. Yeah. I'm not so much into that as oh, this is the lens that you see the world as. Mm -hmm. And then in particular, when your tank is full and Mm -hmm. you're firing at your best, this is how you see the world. And equally, when your tank is low, this is how you can see the world. And um, I'll use my family. I'll use my wife and I. I'm on on the Enneagram. I'm a pleaser. Mm -hmm. uh, and a performer. And I know that's probably my greatest strength. And my weakness is that, um, to say no is really hard for me. And I want to say yes. And I want to do a good job and, um, to, for, for true disclosure, uh, how, how much 
how many times that I text fair and saying, I've listened to all the podcasts and I don't want to do this. I'm trying to do all these things. And right. That's yeah. the, pleaser, that's the pleaser side of me that I yeah. know. I don't, yeah. I don't look at it as, Oh, she's interviewing me. I'm like, well, how many people could listen to this and what could they be doing with their life outside of this? That's a big weight. I don't want to waste their time. Right. My wife is an Enneagram one wing nine, nine wing one. If these don't make sense, I'll, I'll explain to them. But, and so she is, she's very critical of how the world could be and very justice driven. So we'll both be doing the same thing, but I'm doing it because I'm doing it from the sense of trying to please others. Mm-hmm. And she's just yeah. doing it because it's the right thing to right do. Thing to like, do. Yeah. Give, give others a voice, the po- voice for the voiceless to serve the underserved, right? Like, her, and I do it because. I want to please them. She's doing it because they need it, right? And yeah. uh, however, when we're hanging out as a pleaser, you know, I would just do things for her in anticipation. She doesn't necessarily do things for me unless I ask her to do them for me because it doesn't even hit her radar. And so right. when my tank full, I don't care. That's great. But when my tank's empty, I know I have a sensitivity because I am pretty sensitive to be like, how come I'm doing this all by myself? Why isn't she asking, helping me? Why isn't, but that's all yeah. my bad, right? That's me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, same for her. I can say something like, Sarah, that was really frustrating for me when you said this yesterday. And then instead of it being something that she just said to me, she just said it, it wasn't personal. Mm-hmm. At the very surface level, she can internalize that because she's so critical of how things could be. She once said to me, you think that I'm critical outwardly and she's she's such a loving person so <laughs> those who don't know her this makes it sound like that she's like but you should see the voice that's in my head of a recovering perfectionist and mm-hmm. trying to be good enough you should see the critical voice in my head and so i'm like oh so when her tank's low and we're having those conversations it's yeah. not i you know i could have been softer with chris i could have been brought more context around what we we're talking about it is i'm to my core not a good person, right? Like those are the things. So now let's put that back. That's not, and I'm exaggerating these examples, but what was interesting is as we learned each other's Enneagram and I could look at it, I could now say, oh, well, that's the lens that she looks at through. And also when she's exhausted or tired and she's a big introvert, so she hasn't had time Mm. to be Mm -hmm. by herself to fill up her tank and read, um, then her personality will shift to tend to look through things through this lens and by Mm -hmm. giving her grace and, or just letting her be or giving her time to recharge by reading or, or doing that. Mm -hmm. That's really what she needs. She doesn't need me to say, man, you're really short right now or whatever. Right. And on the same, on the same way, when I'm traveling, I'm, I'm 50, 50 extrovert, introvert. People think I'm very extroverted, but when I come mm-hmm. home, I like to, I'm a homebody. I like to be home. But I can tell yeah. that I become a lot more sensitive when my tank's slow. And instead of Sarah picking at that, of like, why are you so snappy? Why are you this? She just mm-hmm. lets me be me. And over the next little bit, I my tank gets full. I've had some time. I sleep. I've eaten. You know, because we're running yeah. and running when we're traveling. Uh, and so let's put that in the workplace that I'll watch and there'll be individuals. I once had a gal when I was on the, working on the ambulance, I got a phone call from the fire captain that she was really short with everybody and hurt the firefighters feelings. This, this little gal paramedic hurt these <laughs> big captain right. firefighter feelings, but that's just kind of life. It doesn't matter. They did. She did. And yet she was single, but she was changing apartments and she was going through a breakup with a guy that was not good, but not bad. Like there wasn't a reason to break up, but it was a, like, I mean, it was her, it was her story, right? It's yeah, her story. Right, right. And, but when you put all that together, me just saying, Hey, this is the last written warning. If she had a history of not engaging with others on scene when, when those when working well together matters when, when you're taking care of patients, that's one thing, but when it's a one-off or doesn't seem quite right, or 
you start talking, she's like, I haven't slept for a while. And I'm really like, I don't need to add that extra weight. She's already stressed. She's already frustrated. She's already going through a different things. And then to say, I think she's going to get in trouble or written up doesn't actually walk alongside of her and fix that, that problem. Right. right. Um, mm-hmm. And of course there's, there's a spectrum on all stuff, right? We still expect that either they take personal time off or that they can have their head in the game, right? This is a serious. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say that that's a reason why we just give people free passes, but it is humanizing it that we put policies and procedures to standardize or uh, share a shared consciousness of what our expectations are. But we're really trying to meet people where they are and they're bringing mm-hmm. their past jobs. Mm-hmm. They're bringing uh, their past. Uh, I think I read a great article from you where somebody had said something once but it sticks, especially when you're young oh, and yeah. you're working really hard. Things stick mm-hmm. with you forever and mm-hmm. um, forever. And to work through that and to say, wait, is that true? Is that changing? That's exactly what's going on. And and as the leader or creating a culture, your quick response to shut somebody down or jump to the conclusion or say, well, that's unacceptable behavior, captain, whomever, I'm going to get, make sure that person gets written up. Like you're not really looking at the problem or looking at the world. And I want to walk along people during their best times in life. Um, but that also means we're walking through some of their toughest times in life. And the assumption is that I can have good days and bad days, but your doctor can't. Right? You always think that your doctor is well rested. They never make mistakes. <laughs> right. And you would hope that. Yeah, <laughs> you hope so. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the reality is, well, that's an unfair expectation to them. So, whomever I'm working with, that's an unfair expectation to them. And um, so, meeting them where they are, I think I have some employees who they just want to be the best at what they do in this box and they want to mm-hmm. be an expert in it and they want to cross these things off their list. And they want to do that all the time. And I'm like, man, that's great. Cause I need somebody who's going to come in and manage all of our trade shows or do all of our design stuff. And that's their thing. They don't want to lead people. They don't want to move up in the company. They don't. Mm-hmm. And then you have others who are like, I will want to do whatever you think is best for me, but I want to learn mm-hmm. business. I want to grow. I want to like eventually have, um, opportunity to lead others or be a manager and help learn that. And so two different individuals, both in the marketing team, we're providing one opportunities to grow and move into different roles. And the other, we're making sure that they have the resources and um, the expertise um, to be the best that they can be in the roles Mm -hmm. that they are. And they're both valuable. Have you ever read um, Kim Scott's Radical Candor? She gives a really, oh, do you know that I book? I wrote that down. No, no. Yeah. I, I wrote you're it going down. To. <laughs> was, it, was it your, um, was it your, uh, I feel like it might've been your cousin who said something about it. Or I brought said, it up. Oh. Yes. Cause yes. Cause we talked about, we talked about it because I had, I just finished the book and she has this great section about your rock stars and your superstars and acknowledging oh. who your rock solid people are. Like you said, the ones who are going to be those taskmasters that are going to get the job done. They're not. They're not worried about climbing a ladder anytime soon. They're just, you know, the solid, reliable people. And then you've got your superstars and like giving them both. Like, I think like sometimes we can think kind of narrow and think like, oh, if they're not trying very hard, they, you know, if they don't, they don't really like care about this job, but it's no, they like, you know, this is what they're good at. This is what they want to do. Let's nurture that because we need those people to help propel the other people. Right. Yep. We, yeah. I remember saying I was driving and listening to your podcast. I was like, radical candor. <laughs> after, for, after, so I would just wrote yeah. it down. Because, yeah. She's, um, yeah, she's actually local important. out here unless, yeah. Bring her on. Uh, yeah, I wish. <laughs> what do you we'll know? Get there. We'll get we're, there. We're, oh, we're, believe we're, me. We're, we're finding, getting there. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting, I've got my, I've got my, uh, my list, you know, my, <laughs> my list of people I hope to bring on one day. <laughs> oh, that's great. We, at Pulsera, we had used, we had found this thing for managing change and really it was so brilliant. It basically has these like five things to manage change. And if you get all five, then you can make change. But if you miss okay. one of them, like resources, people feel ill-equipped. 
If yeah. you aren't giving them the vision, they don't understand why they're doing something. If you don't mm-hmm. incentivize them, like this will help with patient care, or this is this, then they are, why should we change based on our product, right? So she's like, she basically, this gal basically said, you're going to have people that are resistant to change. They're going to be confused. People will be frustrated. These are the outcomes. So when you're talking to somebody and you're seeing this outcome, you can look back and say, you know what? We didn't do a good job sharing the vision. I don't think yeah. we've equipped or trained them with the right knowledge or education in order to do whatever. And, um, but she, when we had posted that, ironically, there was this big lawsuit decades ago. And, mm-hmm. and we had associated her chart with another gentleman, mm-hmm. which he had, to, and this had nothing to do with us. And, but since then they had worked it out, but it was, she was supposed to be attributed to it back in the early eighties. And it's mm-hmm. since, but because of that, they were doing, they found it and we attribute it to somebody else. So her team reached out and said, Hey, you need to take that down. I'm like, not only will we take it down, but we want to put it back up with your voice. Like, can we uh, interview you? Can we talk about your latest book? Can we, and she's like, I would love that. And we got to this textbook author, Mary Lippitt, this Dr. Lippitt. She was so amazing of managing change in the workplace and yeah. and meeting people where they are. Like the same things we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, it was great. So uh, in the same, this radical yeah. candor, I can't wait till when you bring her on. I know. <laughs> Funny enough, I've actually met her. Um, I was doing a job for someone else uh, for another organization that does women's conferences. So I actually got to go to her home office in Los Altos and record her. So if I if I send her a random message one day, I could probably send her a snapshot. She remember. I, I hope she'd remember me. <laughs> yes, that's great. What do you? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um, how are your kids? <laughs> oh. They're good. They're, you know, where as, as people say, when I tell them I have two boys that are five and three, I'm in the trenches and I'm just wondering when that ends, you know? So we're, we're kind of, there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of everything. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's really, Uh, you know, it's, it's challenging because I'm doing, I think sometimes I go, I go, I wish like I'm doing so much development on myself and my career and where I'm going with Tabruzzi Productions. And sometimes I wish I had already like arrived there. And I know that might sound silly, but like, I feel like, cause you know, it's not to say that I would stop the momentum, but sometimes I feel like I had the inspiration and ideas before I had the kids. So that way I could settle into this a little bit more, take a little time. I feel like it's, it's such a luxury when I hear people say they take like a long break from work and then able to jump back in, like after their kids are off to kindergarten, you know what I mean? So there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of guilt associated with it. Um, it just depends on the day and kind of what you said about like, depending on where your tank is, you know what I mean? How Mm -hmm. you want to like, look at, look at life, you know what I mean? And look at these obstacles. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've been feeling though these days is sometimes I wish I could maybe slow down a little bit, but I know if I do, this is just not the time to do it. Like this is, you know, I kind of need to like get myself back on track and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated, but, um, it yeah, is, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, well, it's even con I read this also the, a great book called the checklist manifesto. Okay. And it's based on a surgeon, but his idea is there's things that are very simple, like opening mm-hmm. and shutting the door. And you don't need a, I lo- had to look at my door. I don't know why. <laughs> you have to look at the door. You don't need, you don't need a, you don't need a checklist. You don't need a checklist yeah. to open or close a door. Mm-hmm. There's things that are complex raising kids. You have two boys. Yeah. You don't really have a manual except for how you were raised. Mm-hmm. And yet you raise them the same and they're not the same personality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's really complex. They, they have their mm-hmm. own personalities. There's things that happen that you can't recreate. And then things that are complicated. And in the complicated, that's where you make checklists. That's where the yeah. pilot makes a checklist of everything. And they go through the checklist so they don't miss things because it's an easy thing to miss with a high risk if you miss them. 
but right. by having a checklist, you're not relying on. And so interestingly, we don't need a checklist for opening, shutting a door, but I started putting checklists and building and planning out things that are complex or complicated so that I have room for the complex, right? Um, mm. Because you're right, trying to balancing that, trying to be present uh, when you work. I, I do both, right? I work as a clinician. When you clock in and clock out, as soon as the next flight paramedic flight nurse comes in and I leave, I don't think about the next call. There's mm -hmm. something valuable that's there when you are an employee, where when you're off shift, you're off shift. But when you're building a company, when you're working with others in this type of world that's, you know, private or, um, well, it doesn't even have to be private. It could be a nonprofit. It could be wherever. Like mm -hmm. the work never goes away. There's You will always have more than you can do. Mm -hmm. And um that, that's tough to prioritize, making sure you're doing the right things, taking the time. And, and I feel like you did that, right? You moved from your office to the road for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that helped put perspective of the things that mattered. Yes. Yes, it did. Yeah. And it also sparked cre creativity that I feel was dormant for so long, be it, be it becoming a mom, being in this weird period of my life, you know, I'm approaching 40 here real quick. Mm -hmm. And, um, also the pandemic, you know, yeah. I came out of, I came out of my best year ever and pandemic hit and shit got canceled Yeah, <laughs> and, man. and, and I was pregnant for my second and then that threw me a curveball. So yes, getting, getting out. I'm, that's, that's sweet that you mentioned that. Like I, yeah, I got on the road and spent two months like traveling across the U S just to reconnect with all the people in our lives that we love and we don't get to see often enough. Um, and, uh, didn't make it to Bozeman, but that's definitely on the list. <laughs> you guys will have a blast when you do come oh, up. I know we will one day we will, but yeah, so I needed that disconnect. I mean, there's, I rarely take time just to just sit down and think. You know what I mean? <laughs> just I've been like scheduling it now. Like I get up really, I'm becoming one of those 5 a.m.ers now because mm -hmm. I would complain that I didn't have enough time in the day or I didn't have quiet when I was at home and I can only get to the office so early. So it was like, I just started carving out this time and sometimes it's five and sometimes it's 6.30, but it's either way it adds up and I'll just kind of sit in my thoughts and, and, you know, write the thing that comes to mind. And it takes practice to get to a point where that it's easier to do that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I really had to be scheduled in that. So, um, so yeah, some just, I, I think I need, I need sometimes something like really dramatic to kind of detach me from like what's going on <laughs> in the day to day, if that makes sense. Well, I didn't think like, our theme like would go be on a road trip. <laughs> I didn't think our theme would be around filling your tank, but it's been top of mind for me as well. Um, when you start looking back and you start asking people, what do you regret? You know, there's a number of these articles or things. There's not one person in their 80s that says, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have skipped yeah. more holidays. I wish I would have done these things. And yet, because we're driven and because we're in a competitive world and because, um, I mean, you and I have worked together because of our personality type. So you wouldn't have been part of that team. Same with myself, right? Yeah. And yet I'm finding that it's, it feels very difficult, especially I'll talk about first responders who have a high uh, suicide rate, a high divorce rate, a high mm -hmm. addiction rate. And this is law enforcement through nursing, physicians, paramedics, firefighters, yeah. um, because we give everything to everybody else and we don't fill up our tank. And it's tough. I mean, I know this about myself as well as a pleaser that if you asked for me to come over tomorrow at seven to help you move, I'd probably be there at six 30 with donuts. Right. And yet <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the bottom line is, and it seems selfish if I say, no, I'm going to not do something. I'm going to hang out. Um, but I've changed that a lot where, um, I've made sure my tank is full and what that's allowed me to do in the best way, mm. since you're a mom, I've never been a mom, but I have been a dad, but as mm -hmm. a new mom, like 
you're so tired and you're so exhausted and the baby cries and then you just get up and you just power. You're like, I'm going to power through all this. I'm going to power all through this. And yet if you're not in that situation, which is what you did, you moved yourself from that situation when you went on this road trip and you were mm -hmm. creative that I look back, I'm like, but if somebody watched the little kiddo and if the little kiddo cried for a little bit, but the mom got two or three hours of really good sleep, how much more better of a mom, right? Yeah, and so absolutely. That's a really easy like analogy of, but if my tanks filled first, instead of it's reframing it. And so instead of saying, oh, I'm selfish or it's all about me, it's if my tanks filled first, how much more can I, how much better of a colleague can I be? How much better of an employee, a dad, yeah. a spouse, a friend to others yes. can I be if my tank's 100%? And I found that I've actually been executing and getting things crossed off my list a little bit less, but with higher quality and more yeah. fulfilled. And I've been having more conversations that are moving the needle. I've been yeah. making sure that things I am doing are the right things I'm doing. And yeah. I'm, I'm more present. Yeah. Um, I know that you were, uh, or have in, um, the concept of yoga or being present and just, it's a mindfulness. Like you said, it was, it's yeah. a, it's a, it was a change in behavior that took a while for you to get up at that time and write your thoughts down and do that. And mm -hmm. same for me, I'm fast thinking and I move forward and I look at all the things I could get done and I have list after list. Yeah. But then when I look back, I don't think, oh man, uh, July 8th, 2023, that was my best day last year because I got most things <laughs> off my list. <laughs> right. That's right? a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. That is important. And in the same way, right, this, this conversation, when I say becomes about people, is that we're slowing down and asking you how your kiddos are, how your partner is, how that mm -hmm. trip was there. What, where are you in your journey and like all the great things. And also mm -hmm. where some of those things are tough and people get that because they're just a few years or a decade or a few decades, depending on where mm -hmm. they are in life ahead of you. And then at the same time, you're looking back at, the 2007 fair and there's people just starting out their journey and you're like, oh, well, yeah. if you know, if you knew what I know now, you know how much easier it was when I didn't have, you know? <laughs> like, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, but I never, I would have never said that to you. Like, you don't even know what it's like to be stress fair. Cause that doesn't matter <laughs> at that point in life yeah. in your world, you are maxed out and now, and the next level. And then right. Yeah. When, you, yeah. when you have other people that report, to you or they're they're starting to make decisions i think one of the hardest things is when you're starting to make decisions of hiring others or outsource or contract and and they start to rely on it so they start making life decisions of getting more serious getting married buying a home having kids that's a weight on entrepreneurs of like wait i was just barely able to handle my own life much less be responsible for others for sure right right so asking you like how are you doing asking your employee like how are you doing a lot of people say fine you're like been stressed or good did you have a good weekend i mean i always try to slow down the conversation because we jump in yeah. on zoom we clock in zoom we clock out in zoom yeah. and so they're like okay chris i jumped on this meeting because i want to and i'm like I'll let them just go and get all their words out. And then I'm like, how's your heart today? How are you doing? Like, what's going on? Like, what makes you excited about work? What are you like super frustrated about at Pulsera that I can walk through? Or what do you think you would change if you ran the world? And it's not every conversation. We can't just all hold hands at every yeah. conversation. But I do try <laughs> to keep a good, um, I try to keep a good pulse on how my team is doing holistically mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. encouraging them to uh, be balanced. And that's a really like work-life balance is a really tough thing. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm an eighties kid. You know, I, I was born in the seventies, grew up in the eighties. I'm an a hundred percent eighties kid. And that work-life balance, it was work hard. And then when yeah. you retire, you can do these things. And I think, these next generations have that balance of like 
do something well yeah. mm-hmm. and enjoy life. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And not to sound cliche, but you just don't know how long you have. So what are you waiting for? Fine. And oh, I think and, it's so great. Like, I yeah. think so many companies now are embracing that. And that's kind of what sparked this podcast, to be honest, is just seeing such progressive companies out there that are really taking care of their people and giving them that time and that space and treating them like adults to make decisions, to get their work done. You know what I mean? And I know there's still a lot of organizations that haven't adopted that. And I know I I tend to live in kind of a bubble of, you know, being in the Bay area where we're really progressive in that way. But I just hope if anything, this, yeah, this podcast could reach some, some people to give some ideas of some things because oh, that, it, that work-life balance, like you hit the nail on the head, right? Like we talk, we talk about work-life balance, I think a lot on the day-to-day, but really just thinking about the big picture. I don't want to wait till I'm 60 to go to, you know, Africa. Like I want to go next thing. year. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't so. know if I could do this. However, I read an article where this gal, people were giving her a hard time because she wasn't fitting into the, the norm of work for 20 years and retire with your pension, work for 30 years right. and put stuff in 401k. She'd work for three years and then take a year mm-hmm. off yeah. and work for three years, take a year off. And they're like, but you don't have anything saved for your retirement and you're doing, but she's like, I am doing my retirement because instead of working till say age 75 or let's say 60 and then having 20 years of retirement, I'm yeah. taking those 20 years and I'm putting them throughout my life when I can surf, when I can, yeah. uh, yeah slip and fall off a mountain bike and it doesn't hurt for four days like me. (laughs) Oh my God. uh, It's so true. Yes. (laughs) Um, My, my family is in their sixties. Our parents are all in their sixties and you know, they're all, they're all doing overall well, but like, you know, things are falling apart on them fast and yeah, you got to do things while you can. How do you do that? And I, yeah. I try to be, you know, remember, I'm only speaking of how to create a good culture based on the areas that come natural to me, which is to be really transparent, have heart to hearts, be um, kind of the Chris you meet today is the Chris you're going to get, right? I don't really have yeah. these like layers of complexity of, well, you got to get past this to really get to know who he is. Um, yeah. So it might not work for others, but I do feel, I mean, there's always this banter of, is your company a team or are they a family? And people have been on yeah. both sides of it. And I, I kind of actually lean more to the team analogy that uh, some team members, just like some teams, they were great during that time. And then this is no longer a good fit for them and they choose to leave mm-hmm. or it's no longer a good fit for us. So they choose to leave and you're always putting the right team member in. I like mm-hmm. the team idea. We tend to be, uh, I tend to be because I'm a pleaser. I am much better giving candid feedback now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to reframe it in my mind instead of hurting people's feelings. I was saying, but if I'm hiring you as the elite athlete, I think you are. If there, if you were a runner in the Olympics, and I kept saying, no, overall you did well. And here's the things like, I want to see some good stuff and then some critical and good stuff. You'd be like, I already know I'm a good runner. I'm in the Olympics. I already know my splits. I know my, I know the next 10 countries, top runner splits. Like I want you to be, I brought you in to make me the best that I can be when I reframe it like that. And so, and I share that with the team of that, that we're bringing you in because you're already an elite athlete. And so mm-hmm. we're trying to give you the feedback to continue being the best that you can be on that. Mm-hmm. That's a whole, that when you reframe uh, feedback, that's timely. Um, mm-hmm. that, it's a whole different area because if I'm an elite athlete, I can't wait to get that feedback. Mm-hmm. If I don't, if I'm in a vacuum and people are just always feel like left and right, I'm getting uh, something circled with a big red X through it that I did wrong. That's, that's yeah. not the good feedback. And so I, I look at it of how are we connecting at a soul level and mm-hmm. helping them be their best. And, and my hope is that when Farron worked at Praetorian, I'm not trying to keep her there forever. If it, she mm-hmm. chooses that path and it works for her for forever, mm-hmm. 
four power tour. That's great. However, I do want it to be one of the best chapters in her journey to being the best Baron she can be. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned that from a, a colleague of mine who was leading. And I, when I ran the ambulance service, it's part of a large corporation and they were tracking turnover, mm-hmm. turnover rates, but it was a percentage. And mm-hmm. he's like, but, but what's, is it good turnover or bad turnover? And there's a lot of different phrases for it, but his focus was good turnover is that they join because they want a patient contact hours as an EMT in college because they have a dream of getting to medical school or PA or nursing, and we help them get there. Mm-hmm. And for they'll forever be grateful of the experience and being able to walk alongside of you for that snapshot time. The bad mm-hmm. turnover is that you have a terrible boss. People are being micromanaged. It's punitive. They don't feel safe and they quit. And yeah. forever, forever, yeah. like decades will disparage the company. Right. Right. Yeah. And then that, yep. that problem isn't the employees. The problem is the leadership. And mm-hmm. so I'm always looking at it from, it seems loosey goosey, but it really isn't like walking alongside of you in your whole life. And there are a lot of HR people that say, Hey, that's, that's a slippery slope. Don't be friends with your team on Facebook. Don't do these. And I'm like, man, yeah. I, how do I meet them where they are if I don't know that they're going through this or that I yeah. that they're walking through these different areas? I, I don't think it's, I think that's probably a good risk aversion thing. The more you can be separated, the more that you're, it's not going to be messy. And then on the flip side, I'm like, I don't know. I'd rather things be messy and be the best and help them throughout their journey. Um, it's tough. Wow. It's so crazy, Chris. Like we literally, I'm looking at this, like this, these notes I have here that to talk to you about today. And like the two things bolded right now in front of me are trust and transparency. And that's mm-hmm. like, without me even having to get to those questions, that's exactly what we just talked about, you know? And I, like, I always admired how you had a balance. You balanced it. It was a mm-hmm. balancing act. I'm sure. I'm sure it was more complicated than it seemed, but I think, um, you know, and, and, and add more if there is, but like, just like you said, just talking, just asking the questions, treating people like people, it kind of just all really starts there. And also sharing your stories alongside and it, it opens up, it just opens up opportunity for so much more learning about each other and how to work with each other. And while those like Myers-Briggs and, uh, and that, I think I keep saying it wrong. And yeah, Enneagram, Enneagram. Enneagram, which I'm going to do now because well, this is. I'm going to put them like with a, you to add to the yes. show notes because. Yes, let's do that. Yes. Yeah. Because I remember being in a management role at my last company 10 years ago and we did the Myers-Briggs and, um, and that was the first time I'd ever done anything like that as well. And I remember it did open up a lot about my team that I didn't know. So, and then it, 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 it did teach me how to talk to them differently because they're not, we're not all the same. So, oh, so I think that's so, you, so important. Yeah. Well, and mm-hmm. I, we, people should do it only from a self-awareness. They should do it. Right. Like I can, yeah. Sarah and I will be hanging out. I'm like, what do you think your mom is? And she'll say, she's a six. Now for, for <laughs> what the Enneagram is, is uh, basically a personality types of one through nine. And yeah. when you tend to, let's say it goes one through nine. So if you're a nine, you also might have some tendencies towards a one or an eight, but you're kind of in that third of the group. And, um, but there's so many great podcasts and resources. And what I found is starting the journey with me of me being the best that I can be. It's not yeah. easy. There's some, there's some great books that they tell a story and they're like, but when your tank is low, this is how you see the world. I'm like, Oh, that makes so much oh, sense. I see the world like that. Yeah. But more importantly, others don't see the world like that when their tank's low. They're short or they're closed off or they're in their head or they're, mm-hmm. they're guarded or, you know, um, yeah. or sad or because they're processing it differently through, through that. And it takes 15 minutes to walk through it. And then you can kind of, it's just great because it's not the answer. It's just a tool and so we've done that with our team. And then I can look at each individual. I'm like, in our team meeting with Zoom and all these photos, I'm like, something's yeah. going on or that didn't relate well. And I'll dig in with that person later. And they're like, yeah. well, Chris, you're, you're responding to all these 
emails and you're going through and I'm doing all this work, but then I get it back from you and it just is full of red ink figuratively. Like you edit it. It's like, maybe I shouldn't even do it. You should just do it. Cause I feel like you're just redoing all my stuff. I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. that's they're interpreting. And then they put that through their lens. Cause their tank was low that I'm not good enough. Yeah. I don't even know why I'm here. And I was yeah. like, man, I looked at it where nothing is more difficult in the world than having a blank screen with a flashing cursor by you even mm-hmm. giving me bull- bullets or giving that idea i can riff off of you and it's like a music like you're starting something and i'm riffing off yeah. of you and we're going back yeah, and yeah. forth so i look yeah. at it like you're saving me 90 percent of the work and i'm able to take that and do the next thing and yet i guess i could spend a little bit of time teaching you how to edit or think differently or why i edited or changed that so i started just instead of editing taking it onto another page doing it and then putting rationale, like I'm thinking this, or I always find these tips to make it more compelling. Yeah. If you move the hook, we were taught to do an intro, the a body, and then the summary, but usually the right. summary is what, what the most important thing is. And we buried that lead. <laughs> move that to lead the yeah. Top. yeah. 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 Move it up to the top. <laughs> like, and I'm like, she's like those 20 minutes of just walking through some of your best practices and memorializing that just jumped to here by you and I having a transparent conversation of your perspective. Like in my mind, I couldn't even think that it would be anything else that I'm not good enough and I shouldn't even be in this job, which mortified me, right? As the boss, that was a miss. Like I was thinking just the opposite. She's such a great chiseled athlete that I'm just giving her the feedback, but I wasn't given any context around it. And so I have story after story and yet I do think you asked about trans, being transparent and mm-hmm. I had a challenge after a couple of years of EMS one is highly visible. Uh, Farron, for those who are on this podcast, who don't know, she, I could easily say is the leading videographer who could tell a story in public safety. Right. And <laughs> as we walk through that, that's, that's this gift of doing that. And yet then people say, well, if she's so good, I'm not relatable. I'm just starting in the industry. That's not what you want. You want them to know. And so I had gotten the reputation of super smart, can make anything happen, well-connected to everybody. And I'm like, man, that was not my journey. My journey Mm -hmm. was people tell me I wasn't good enough. People tell me that I didn't fit in because I was too like creative. Like I didn't like rules as a paramedic and it was a very paramilitary public safety is very paramilitary. Like, you know, you're the rookie, like we're seeing those things start to fall. Those old guard type mentalities start to fall finally, but there is hazing and there was all these, like my journey was me, a few people throughout my life at the right time, putting their arm around me and walking through for me to stay. And so just, it was only the last couple of years. I'm like, I don't, I didn't not tell the whole story on purpose. I just, focus on the things that I was good at talking about, but I'm going to start talking about the failures of Chris call or the challenges I had. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people who want to speak publicly at a national level. And number one thing is that they're always focused on trying to be perfect. They don't want what other people will think of them. And I'm like, except that the more real you are, then the more relatable you are. And Mm -hmm. people will say, man, that person connected with me at a soul level. And yet you might not have been perfect. Who cares about the ums and those things? You were connecting with them at a human level. Like mm-hmm. that, those are key. And it took me a long time. You know, I'm a pleaser. I wanted things to be perfect. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist right. pleaser. Probably the two worst, right? Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's complex. It's good stuff though, Farron. It's such good stuff. Oh my gosh. And I feel like we're going to need to we need to set a date for another conversation because you just made me think of something too. And, and going back to that teaching background and how you wanted to teach and how you, you ended up teaching just in not in a classroom setting necessarily. Right. Mm-hmm. I would love to like talk more about how giving feedback in a teachable way, you know what I mean? Like, like oh, kind of getting into that a little bit. The I think that would be world. such a, exactly. And I yeah. think that's something I could use a lot of help with too, you know? So I mean, as I grow uh, my team and try, like you said, teaching, like, like it's, it's hard sometimes to teach the creativity part. Like it's, you're like, well, this is what's in my head. That's just how I see it. But how do I help someone else understand 
how to look at it that way and how to well, tell the story that way. <laughs> you well, know, your, your dev team, and I am being stereotypical. It's not true, but the people will move to certain uh, areas because of their personalities. So they'll move into engineering or they'll move mm-hmm. into development or they'll move into uh, maybe in the operations team, you'll have the touchy feely HR, but then you'll have mm-hmm. the people that are finance. Right. And, yeah. but I've always gravitated and been in the marketing sales, CS video teams mm-hmm. and, and they're very uh, sensitive. They're mm-hmm. very sensitive um, mm-hmm. in a good way. Like they feel the story. They feel what other people yeah. they're like, that's their strength. And yeah. to provide feedback in that world and also keep people operating at their best. Whew, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good topic for another day. <laughs> oh, we'll have to do that. Oh my gosh, this is so great. Um, and I just have to end by saying one little thing because we talked about a couple times, we talked about um, things that stick with you that people say in your life. And this is kind of silly, but one thing that stuck with me <laughs> from back, I think we were in Florida. I think it was one of those expos or something in Florida and you were about to give a, a talk. Like you actually had to get up early in the morning. I think after we had a late night out and give a talk that morning. And I remember you telling me, you always keep a cup of coffee in your hand when you talk to people that it, it's that psychologically, it's something that makes people relate to you. Do you uh, remember? That? Uh, that, that actually came from a gentleman that Farron and I know well named Alex Ford and the first Oh, that was Alex? Was, okay. Well, I mean, I got that from Alex. And so I, I don't know, know if it was Alex. I don't know if it was Alex, but uh, he, yeah, yeah. he stopped and he didn't even like Starbucks coffee. And we were in Seattle or we were going and we were meeting <laughs> with a customer and he's like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, I had just said very innocently, oh, I already drink a ton of coffee at the hotel. I'm fine. He's like, I know. But when we're going in there, they already have their walls up. They're already thinking we're trying to sell them something, but really we want to uh, listen to them, see if there's an opportunity to partner and yeah. there's nothing better than to do something that they can relate with. And in an early morning meeting or that time, if you, they can relate when you're carrying a cup of coffee, it just makes you more human. And yep. to this day, I shared that same piece of advice with somebody uh, the other day. <laughs> and I rarely go up on, on stage without, a cup of coffee and it could be just water or something, but a coffee cup, something yeah. in my hand. Yep. Uh, yep. It might be a pretty blanket <laughs> now, but it does. Exactly. It does. It, it, does uh, it does humanize you and it, yeah. they don't realize it, but it does make some type of subconscious connection Yeah, that you're, you're just getting through your day as well. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Thanks. I love it. Oh my gosh. So many good nuggets here. Um, to our listeners, um, I hope this, uh, this sparks some new ideas and maybe just to ask questions and listen more. Um, that's my big takeaway. So Karen, I had such a blast <laughs> with you. Like while it was a long time ago that we worked together, it also seems like yesterday it's some of my best yeah. times and today yeah. was just the same. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll have to get that next, uh, talk on the books then soon. So thanks for having me.